Hello. Wow, we got a lot of people here today. My name is John. I think uh, many of you know me, but if you don't, I'm a pastor on staff here. And uh, today I'm excited. Uh, an old friend of mine, uh, I mean, I've known him for a while, so don't tell him that he's old. But uh, he's going to be here today, and uh, we're going to interview him. It's called Creation Sunday. And I don't know if you were invited today or not, but I want to say we're glad if you did uh, to be our guest today. And I think we're all going to learn a lot, and so we're going to talk about creation. The first time I met Tom, I was in the Bible College uh, up at Fort Lauderdale, and uh, I was studying theology, and you learn books of the Bible and all this other stuff. But there was always these nagging questions in the back of my head. You know, I'm studying all this. I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. And yet, you know, does what I hear from science line up with the Bible, all these questions about dinosaurs, about old ages or young ages and evolution, and I'm just really kind of searching. And uh, I have a background in science, and so I wanted to know more, and how could I reconcile these things? I remember Tom teaching a class coming in, and he blew me away. And I was just like, wow, there are a lot of answers out there that I didn't even know existed. And so I was excited, and I actually volunteered with him. Man, this was probably 12 years ago, and uh, I got to know him very well, and I learned so much more about, uh, about the Bible, about creation, evolution, etc. And uh, Tom himself, Tom DeRosa, is going to come out here in just a second, but I want to let you know that he is the founder and the director of the Creation Studies Institute, which is located in Fort Lauderdale. They have a great museum up there where you can bring your kids and check out and learn stuff. He also has been the host of the Genesis Connection, which was on uh, WAFG 90.3. And uh, so he would talk about those things on the radio. Anyway, uh, I also want to let you know, though, that Tom was an atheist at one point in his life. And so he didn't always believe the stuff that you're hearing right now. He's got a background in science. He's a, he has a master's in science. And so he, he knows his stuff. And he saw the evidence, and he believes uh, the things that you're going to hear today. I also want to let you know he's been through more than just a few things in his life, and he's had a kidney transplant. He's going to mention that later, so I just want you to know that even through all those things, he still trusts the Lord. Can we welcome uh, Tom DeRosa? Tom, thank you for being here today. Yeah, listen, this has really grown, John. Last time we were here, I think we had maybe 20 people in a, in a hotel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This like has I, really grown. Wow. Yeah. Praise God. It was Praise uh, God. mostly Bob's family. Yes. Some friends, you know. And Bob tried to grow it on his own. He has three kids now. But, yeah, uh, I know. He keep growing there. <laughs> people came anyway. Hey, uh, Tom, let's get started. So we have a few questions for you. And, uh, you know, just to start off, in general... You know, I do believe in the Bible. Many of us, we believe in the Bible. And, uh, you know, what I guess we want to ask the question is, is it true? If it is, um, you know, why should we believe it? Why does it matter? Does it matter if we believe in a little Genesis and creation story? Well, that's a very important question, and I want to make sure we're clear with that. But before I answer that, John, I just want to point to the screen. Let everybody know that there's a museum in town Creation Museum, the Creation Discovery Museum located in Fort Lauderdale. Does anybody know where the big Calvary Chapel is in Fort Lauderdale? We are located right next door to it, and we have lots of programs. You guys had something passed out today, I understand, brochure that tells you about our programs. Please look at that, and we'd love to have you as a visitor. 
Uh, I had to mention that, John. I mean, this is very important, the fact that I've got all this stuff, and we want everybody to see it. God has blessed us. So please feel free to do so. Okay, let's answer the first question. Um, The Bible. The Bible. Genesis. I'd like to do it in three categories. One, one reason why I think Genesis is so important is because it's the Word of God. Okay? It is because it's the Word of God. You see, I look at John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word, the word was God. So what is the Word? The Word is God. In, in the, uh, when we look at the Greek, the Word is translated as logos. Logos is rationale. So if you believe in God, you believe in a rationale, a logic for your existence. Do you understand this? Very, very important. The created God who created the universe, Jesus Christ, and this is what we're talking about when we look at the word, you can actually think of word as being Jesus Christ because in John 1.14 it says the word became flesh. You follow me? So word is a very important factor when we talk about John 1. Uh, we see that the word became flesh. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Very, very important. He now establishes himself in John 1 as a creator God. He says it. He says at the very beginning, he says, in the beginning was the word. So what, I mean, when John was writing this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I believe he was talking to us about where to begin. When you begin something, do you begin in the middle? Do you begin at the end? Maybe some of you do it that way. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. You start a job. As, no, you start from the beginning, Right. And so we start from the beginning, and that's what John wants to make sure it's clear. He also talks about the fact that when we we start from the beginning, that, that, let me get back here. Uh, Okay. Everything we observe, every idea, every thought is the logos. That's what we're talking about, the beginning, John 1. Now let's go to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, chapter 1, we see that God uh, writes in the beginning, Genesis 1, the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it goes on to Genesis 1, 3, where it says, and then God said, let there be light. Now, if you account for how many times God said, you're going to come up to 10 times. Now, when somebody says something to you 10 times, they really mean it? If God says something 10 times, does it really mean it? Yeah. And he's trying to say, this is what I said. This is what I said. This is what I said. So is this a narrative? Certainly it is. It's not poetry. It's what God is saying. It's not mythology. It's, not, it's what God is saying. So I believe it's true because I believe in the living God and I believe his word and I believe that his word is telling me about God and what's been, there it is, Genesis 1 from the beginning. He's talking about the idea that he said this. Now we take a look and we see in Genesis, we see that we, we look at that and we look and say, okay, you said that, but what else does it mean? Well, it, it means God's word, but it also means something else. Second point is that it literally means that you, it defines who you are. It defines what we need to do. I met an atheist not too many years ago, and uh, we were just walking, uh, and uh, he just said to me, I'm just searching. I said, what are you searching for? I'm just searching for meaning of life. Well, you know, folks, he's just, he, we're going to find a lot of people searching for meaning of life, but you know what you have to do. Bible tells you. You see, you have, you have a meaning in life because it says that you are going to have dominion over God's creation. And the reason why you're going to have dominion over God's creation is because he's crowned you, as it says in Psalm 8, 4, 4, 5. He's crowned you with honor and glory. That's pretty good. 
that you're the crown of his creation. You all need crowns because you are unbelievable. You are awesome. Okay? <laughs> That's pretty neat to know that you're crowned. You're also, he said, let us create men in our image. In Genesis 1.26. What does image mean? Well, image, you think of God, you think of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, we can think of your body is like Christ, your mind like a father, and a soul like a spirit. You see, I think a human being has identity because in his own right, he is the image of God. Hence, we see some saying that you're, some eight, that you're created in honor and glory. I mean, you have crown with honor and glory because you are created in God's image. That's something to really behold. Image says it three times, Genesis 1, 26, 27, and created three times. Actually, in Genesis 1, 27, the word created, bara, the Hebrew word bara, is used in Genesis chapter 1, five times. In Genesis 1, 27, three times it's used. Now, the three times is to show identity. And so God created man in his image. The image of God, he created them twice. Third one, he created man, male and female. That's your identity. You see, you, are, you have sexuality as identity. Your image and your sexuality are very, very important. That's what God is saying. Created, created, created. Now you have an identity. You have an identity with God. You have a purpose, you see. The, the, you have a purpose. Your purpose is simple. Your purpose is to have dominion over God's creation. What's creation? The earth. That's your dominion. That's your dominion pole. Can you have uh, dominion over the stars? Why? You can't. Come on, give me a break. You can send your rovers and all you want, but you know the bottom part is that you belong here. You were made for this place. I mean, seriously. There's no other place that's, that has the hospitality like this earth does. With the oxygen we breathe, the water that we have, there is no place in the universe statistically that has this, this, these things, these conditions. Life is extremely fragile because it is so complex. Life is extremely fragile because it is so complex. The conditions to produce life have to be a very special place. And that's this earth. And you have dominion over it. Uh, when I look at this scripture, I want to make sure that people understand that it's, it's a week. It's, it's not a, you know, God created this in, his, in a week. He didn't create it in, you know, long periods of time. He created an actual, an actual week. Now you might say, well, you know, did he create it in 24 hours? Like, we, well... God doesn't think of 24 hours. God thinks of spaces of time. And he wanted to make it clear that it was going to be a space of time. Because where did the week come from? I mean, seriously. Can we have 10 days in a week? Can we have? No. You have seven days in a week because of this. Because God said it. In Exodus 20, 11, he gave it to us in the commandments. He said six days uh, about the Sabbath, commandment number four. He says, remember the Sabbath uh, day to keep it holy. Very, very important day. It's a day in which we honor God. We're here today to honor God. We worship God. We rest in him. We rest in his presence. God wanted this day for him. And then he said, listen, I'm going to give, I'm creating the Sabbath as an example for you. In six days I created the heavens and the earth, and the seventh day I rested. You see how that works? It's an example. He could have said, boom, it's created. No. He said, six days, seventh day I will rest. Six plus one, that's a week. That's where it came from. Not only that, but in Exodus 31, 16, 17, you notice it's in, written in stone. It's set in stone because the commandments were not only spoken, but they were written in stone. And in that stone says, in six days I created the heavens and the earth, and the seventh day I rested. And then he said, 
in Exodus 31. Let this, be an, let this be a testimony, a sign, a covenant forever that I created the heavens and the earth in six days and the seventh day I rested. Do you understand that God really takes this seriously? That a week's a week? And he even defines the days as we look at the Scripture. We see very clearly that as we look at the Scriptures, it says that almost all the time the Hebrew word for day, yom, is used. It means a 24-hour day. It means what you think of 2,291 times. When we see the day, we see morning and evening. We see that it's modified by a numeral, one, two, three. That one, two, three is used first day, second day, 349 times in the Old Testament and never means anything else but a 24-hour day, the day we think of. Okay? We go to... uh, uh, third, the evening and morning, it's only used 38 times in the Old Testament. It means what? It means it means 24-hour day. Nothing else. You see, the Scripture is very clear to me. God is speaking about the space of time which we as humans call 24 hours. But he set this up for us. He set this up from the very beginning of time, as we see in Genesis 1. And lastly, we see that it makes a great chronology. It keeps things together. Now, with this being said, I want to make sure you understand that Genesis is the foundation of the gospel. Why do I say that? Well, listen, we have to have a story. Yes, we have to have a story of why Jesus came down here on earth to save us. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, 23, it says, But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For us in Adam all die. Do you understand that you will die because your flesh is bad? You can't go to heaven with your flesh. Do you know that? Your flesh is bad. It's full of sin. God will never show himself to you until you get rid of your flesh. You have to die, folks, and become pure. You know that scripture where Paul says you have to die into your flesh? You have to die into yourself and become a new person? That's what he's talking about. And we see clearly that the first Adam, he died. The second Adam comes and he defeats death by his resurrection and has given you that same hope. The fact that sin entered this world because because man rebelled against God and because God made a judgment. See, because sin entered the world, God made a judgment and said that sin will bring death. That's where we get death from. Death is never good. Animals die. That's not good. Your pets die. That's not good. My daughter had a hamster. My daughter's had a hamster, and the hamsters decided to, one hamster decided to eat the other hamster's head. Blood was in the cage. That's not good. My daughter came screaming. That's not good. Sorry. Not good. Not good. Death. Death. You see, when I think of that, I think what the evolutionists do. They take that death, and they use it for their good. They don't have any idea what we're talking about. They think death is going to produce better creatures. You know, you got to die. Natural selection. Die, die, die. And eventually we get the better ones that survive. Let me tell you what happens usually. Usually the things that they think are better might survive and then conditions change and they die anyway. This theory never holds up truth. But this holds the truth. That when we die, we know that death brings us closer to Christ. Because we know what the Bible says. See, Genesis, I believe, clearly is the foundational stone for us to hold on to. I believe that when we look at the foundations of Christ, we see very clearly that creation is the bottom and the gospel stands on top. 
And I just want to summarize this. We comp- we, if we compromise the immutable word of God, we compromise the power of the cross. Genesis is the book of origins of everything. It's a book of everything. It creates everything. It's a, we see it. If we compromise this book as poetic and non-literal form, we are compromising everything that God has said. I mean this. I've seen the book of Genesis being attacked, and before you know it, the gospel goes out too. I hold Genesis truly to my heart and make it reality. The logos, the rational of the Bible, the rational, the reason for my existence is right here. In Genesis, is not taken literally. The message of the cross will be found in the rubble, John. I really believe that. That's how firmly I believe that this has to be taken the way it's written because God said it ten times. That's pretty uh, interesting. I don't know if everyone... You know, maybe we caught something new, especially the fact that, you know, death was established in the, in the Genesis story, and it's the problem that we all suffer from. I liked what you said, you know, God saying it ten times, because if my wife ever has to tell me something ten times, I'm in trouble. That's all I got to say. <laughs> uh, but, Tom, okay, that, that sounds great in a theological sense, and we say, hey, yeah, okay, I can see why I should believe in it. However, science out there today, there are people, evolutionists, that say this can't be. We have evidences, and there's so much that we hear. I see it in books, you know, my, in my books as, when I was a kid, all this stuff. You know, should we believe in evolution? Is it true? You know, if you say something enough times, people will believe it. Do you know where I got that from? From a marketing expert. Yeah. If you say it enough times, people will believe it. Evolution is a fact. Evolution is a fact. We get in our schools, evolution is a fact. Scientists say evolution is a fact. Before you know it, everybody says, it's a fact, it's a fact, it's a fact. That's what Hitler did. He brainwashed everybody. Yeah, he brainwashed them. He, there was anti-Semitism going on. He just flew at, right at it, you know, against, against a Jew. And he just really went crazy about, you know, making people hate Jews. Yeah, you say it enough times, people believe it. Yeah, they believe it. So you know what? I think we've been duped. I think we've been lied to, folks. Because when I start looking at evolution, it just doesn't make any sense, does it? From a little amoeba to you? Come on, give me a break. Amoeba! I'm an amoeba! I walk around, I go around, I'm, I'm, I'm an amoeba. That doesn't sound very nice. I don't even want to think, think about that. No, I, I come from a monkey. Get out of here. I'm not like a monkey. Give me a break. I mean, Seriously. You know, the funny part about this, let me let you in a little secret. Evolution has been taught over all these years now, and kids are having a hard time believing it. Do you know why? It goes against their human psyche. You know, my mom sent me to college. And you know what I learned in college? I learned that I came from a monkey. Isn't that great? I got a college degree. I came from a monkey. I came in, my, in the kitchen. Mom, guess what? She says, what, son? I come from a monkey. I can prove it to you. And she turned around and said, son, that is so stupid. <laughs> I went to college. You see, lots of things going on in college, lots of things going on in our schools that are dictated and saying that this is good, this is what happens. But let's take a look at it. There's a history behind it. You know, Darwin, when he published his Origin of Species, uh, he published it with this tree. This was written in, in 1837. He published his book in, um, in, in 1859. The origin of species, sometime after this. But in his, in his research, he wrote this tree down, and he said, this is what I believe in. 
Now, I don't know if you know this, but Darwin went to Christ Church, Cambridge. It was a school for ministers. And in that school, they taught science. Okay? So if you wanted to be a minister, you would learn science also. You would learn the natural things around it. And that's where Darwin went to school. When he published his book, Origin of Species, and he had this tree, and his professors wanted to wring his neck. I don't like, but they were very, very insulted that he would ever go this way. See, Darwin's tree of life said that everything was connected, not after its kind. Another time, the Bible says, after its kind, ten times. After its kind, ten times. Check, check me out, Genesis 1. It doesn't, God's not speaking about this tree, folks. There's no tree in the Bible. And his teachers knew that and were very disappointed in this figure. Now, this tree says that there's natural selection, that the stronger shall survive. This is a very dangerous tree because if we apply it to humans, somebody's going to be in the bottom of the tree. Who's going to be on the bottom of the tree? According to Darwin, it was an African. It was a, uh, an aborigine, an Australian aborigine. Uh, there's others that say the same thing. They were, and so we get this idea of racism with this tree. It's very dangerous. Hitler used this tree. And I published a book, Evolution's Fatal Fruit. I wrote a book, did a talk on this thing. And, it, and by the way, it's in a package. It's for $15. And I've got uh, my little book, just a little advertisement, a little book uh, that deals with the facts I'm talking about today. So it's, it's available in the back. But there's, there's consequences for bad ideas, folks. You know, if you're not with God, you're against him. If you're not, you don't have the ideas of remember Jesus Christ as the reason, the logos. If you are not in reality in logos with Christ, everything is false. And that's where we get bad ideas and we follow those bad ideas. There's terrible consequences. So we see by definition of evolution, there's a tree, always a tree. Now, they don't like to use a tree nowadays. They have little branches that come out. It's all the same thing. And little square things that go. It's all the same thing. You're connected to common ancestry. But there's a common designer, not common ancestry. If you take a look at a car, you'll see a car has four wheels, right? Now, you know that that car was, it didn't come, you know, from the natural world. It didn't come from, you know, the slime and everything else. Somebody built it. Okay. So we look at all things that we see being built. Now, a, a car has four wheels. A unibicycle has two wheels. Did the uni, I mean, the bicycle has two wheels. A unibicycle has one wheel. So we, did the unibicycle evolve into a bicycle? The bicycle evolve into a car? Huh? Does that make any sense? But, oh, there's a wheel. Yeah, there's a wheel. We use that wheel as a common design. The common creator, God, the creator God, created with common design. So you have two bones here. You have two bones here, one bone here. It's all common design. It all fits. So many of the animals have the same design because it works. We have a chief engineer. Now, when we look at the tree of life, we see that evolution predicts an upward change. You've got to have upward. Tree's going up. It's long periods of time, millions and millions of years. They need the millions and millions of years. That is their magic trick. Why? You see, for everything to exist the way it is, you need, they call it, deep time. Deep time. So if we discuss evolution, it's not a present event. It's an historical event. It happened in the past. Okay? And we're going to discuss why 
it's wrong as we look at a fossil record in a moment. But this is what Richard Dawkins says, the great guru of evolution, atheist, a biologist. He says, evolution has been observed. It's just that it's not been observed while it was happening. Does that make sense to you? How does he know what happened? How does he know it happened? Well, we look at the National Academy of Science. It says, while the mechanisms of evolution are still under investigation, what's mechanisms? It means how it happened. How did this thing happen? You follow me? How did it happen? Well, scientists, universally accepted cosmos, are planted and life evolved and continued to evolve. Folks, this is what I call brainwashing. They don't know how, but they say it happened. So you know what? You're going to believe them, right? Because, quote, they're scientists, right? Scientists. They're right. I'm going to follow them. What's the word of God say? You're created in his image. No monkey. They created everything. It's form after its kind. When we look at what science is and how it's defined, it's defined this way. I call it the new rule in the classrooms. No God allowed in my nature box. What nature box? <laughs> There's the box. They define science as a study of the natural world. Natural world. There's no word in the Old Testament for natural. It's um, nature. There's no word for nature. Because... It doesn't exist, and it's called creation. That's what it's called in the Old Testament. So this word natural is something we've derived over time, and now we say it's natural. And of course, that natural is how we define science, and that's what we call naturalism. That's a religion, folks. That is a religion. And we want to sue them. I'm serious. Because this is not science. It's not science. They're teaching a lie. They're teaching naturalism in our school. The only truth can come from this natural nature box. Wrong. How about the outside truth? How about a creator God? How about moving things to the outside? Do you remember I talk about brainwashing? When you look at the scientific community, 97% say that humans and other living things have evolved. The public says 32%. So there's a big difference in what the public thinks. What the scientists think. But this is really an interesting statistic Pew Research did in June 9th, 2009. 33% of those surveyed believed in God. That means 67% what? Did not what? Believe in God. So if you don't believe in God, what happens? You're going to be, you're going to, the same thing's going to happen over and over again. It's called, it's called what? It's called brainwashing. There's no God. My science is no God. I have a nature box. It's naturalism. That's what I believe in. And that's what these kids, that's what we're being told over and over again. We look at evolution. Look at this guy. Look at what's happening. Things decay. Your cars decay, right? Your house decays. And you decay. Yeah, anybody here getting better? Come on, try it out. Oh, I'm eating java juice. I'm drinking out. Get out. You're not going to beat it, folks. No way. No way. It's the curse. And it's on you right now, but it's okay. Relax. You want to get to heaven? You can't go with your flesh. Your flesh is sinful. Actually, you can't appear before God because of your flesh. You've got to get rid of it. It's sin. Now, I'm not saying your temples are sin, but you carry sin. 
You see what I'm saying? We live in a sinful world. You have to wait. When you get to heaven, you're going to get a new body. That's my hope. I look at this thing, and I can't wait to my new body. Amen. New body. New body, yeah. We're going to be in heaven with a new body, and it's all things are going to be different because we have the hope of Jesus, you see. It's a whole new thing. When I look at evolution, I see the fact that they are working against nature. Where, you know, I see it, I see it, working against everything. My human intelligence is my logos. I've come to the conclusion that when I look at evolution, it's just a fallacy. It's like a lie. You know, I was interested when you were talking about, uh, you know, things don't seem to go from uh, disorder to order. They seem to go from order to disorder, some similar to my room, especially when I was a kid. If yeah. I didn't do anything to it, it became a big mess. I bet you a lot of houses like this might have that kind of thing Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I liked what you said about not coming from apes. My grandmother always uh, talked to us about that. But yet, I look at my brother, and he's very hairy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, you're so hairy that you could actually look like a missing link, you know. And I wondered that once in a while, but l- let me push you a little bit on evolution here for a minute. Uh, a lot of us, maybe we've heard about the platypus or something else, a, a missing link, something that would show us that we were slowly transitioning because evolution says, well, yeah, it didn't happen all at once, okay, but it was these slow, tiny increments, these slow, tiny changes. I mean, look at the platypus. He's a perfect example of that. I mean, what would you say to somebody who asked you that question? Well, when I look at the platypus, I see he's really weird. He probably never seen a creature. He only lives in eastern Australia. And he gets bigger as you go up, I believe. And he's about the size of the average size of a beaver. That's about him. But he has got a funny looking nose. It's like a duck bill. That's what they call a duck bill. It's a duck kind of. He's got webbed feet. That's the bird part of him. But he's got hair. That's a mammal part of him. He lays eggs like a reptile. He's weird. So we have creationists over the years have went out and have fun with him. We said, okay, how did he evolve? So I looked at this and I said, okay, he's found in eastern Australia, the size of beaver, foot web. He, he could be a mammal. He could be a reptile. He actually, uh, the young, uh, young feet on him, he's, he's got mammary glands, a reptile, bird. Uh, he has poisonous spurs behind his hind legs. The males keep them. And they can kill you or... I don't know if they can kill you, but they definitely can kill animals that come near him. Really weird. Only venomous, uh, sorry, only venomous mammal on earth. Sorry about that. It shouldn't have been. 25 chemicals in the venom, and they are egg layers. And of all things, they have, males have five XY chromosomes, which is really weird. These are weird animals. Now, there are, there's recent literature that says that they really basically are transitional species because they found that found that maybe fossils can represent this. Actually, when we look at the fossil record, we don't see anything whatsoever. They're very poorly represented. And the next slide kind of tells you where, where the evolutionists are thinking. Notice what they say. Older than we thought, platypus ancestors may go back 200 million years. You notice they say, may go back? You see, they couldn't fit this anywhere. No, it was unfittable. So they said, let's put it way back in time. You know, that magic, you know, like the magic wand that makes the prince, that makes the frog a prince. Remember that little fairy tale? That's time. 
And so we're just going to put him back there because we can't explain why he's here today. And we're going to say everything came from him. Listen, folks, if you go to the museums and ask basic questions like Dr. Warner did, you're going to get to this conclusion. He asked them where modern bats came from. They existed about 50 million years. An amazing 1,000 fossil bats have been discovered, but none have been predicted. Evolutionary ancestors have been found. No evolutionary ancestors have been found of the bat. He actually asked tons of questions. It's in the video called, called um, uh, Living Fossils. And in that video, he goes through that. He's been all these museums and I'm sorry, it's Grand Experiment also, these two videos. And he literally goes and asks these questions, and these people, these curators of museums, can't give him a correct answer because there's no transitionals. Actually, when we look at the fossil record, what we see is we see, what do you see there, folks? Do you see any bones? Do you see anything? What you see is marine, that's what you see, marine animals. That's what you see. And when you look at those marine animals, folks, I want to tell you something. They're not very simple. Actually, when you look at them, they're kind of complex. And when I look at that, I see that when I look at the... By the way, the marine animals really affirm the flood, doesn't it? What it says in chapter 11, chapter 6 in the Bible, Genesis. It says that we had a worldwide flood, didn't it? And those fossils dictate that. What we see is a lot of fish fossils, all right? Very small representation of anything else but fish. And maybe some insects and some invertebrates, but that's about it. And yet... In this, this fossil record, we see complexity. Do you see this trilobite over here? That trilobite. See it? It's over here. I'm going to walk over here. I'm allowed to walk here, right? Okay. I'm not going to get electrocuted or anything. Here. Okay. This is a trilobite here. And look at his eyes. Now, this, is the, this is what was supposedly happened 500 million years ago during the Cambrian explosion. Evolution likes to talk about this, but they can't explain. This is inexplicable how these creatures came to be. Not only that, they're complex. They just suddenly appear, and they're complex. Why? I want to just focus on one little thing, that little eye we just looked at. There it is, folks. That's an eye. And that's a species that walked, the trilobite literally crawled on the bottom of the earth. He's extinct now, but we know that he had eyes. So I submit to you, is that simple? Huh? Is that simple? No. No. I don't find any simplicity anywhere. In the fossil record. Actually, what I find is lots of missing things all the time. How do we get to the trilobite? We don't know. How did the trilobite get to a fish? We don't know. When we look at the fossil record, we see that, as it says here, the extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record uh, persists in this trade secret of evolution, of paleontology, of evolution. It doesn't exist. And I'm, I will boldly proclaim what I've seen is I've seen in the fossil record, I've seen like the trilobites, I've seen different sizes of trilobites, and they talk about evolution. I've seen that. And I go to curators just like Dr. Warner and I ask them, how come this is evolution? Well, look, the size has increased. And we have, certainly, you ever see dogs? Huh? Chihuahua and a Great Dane? I mean, you call a Chihuahua a dog? Give me a break. I'm sorry. Sorry. Didn't mean that. Tom, you know, I think it was really enlightening to see that, you know, it's not just the platypus that these things just appear with no ancestry, as if they appeared out of nowhere. Even the platypus, they, we don't know what came before it, and we don't know what it was trying to go mm -hmm. to. So it, it, it's unique. So it really doesn't seem to represent that, that missing link. No. Let me uh, 
let me move off of uh, evolution, though, for a second and uh, talk about the Bible because, you know, the Bible makes a lot of claims, uh, some very fantastic claims when it comes to, like, miracles and things. And, you know, we say, okay, we believe those things. And, and one of those claims, which is kind of interesting, is that it says that people live to be 800 or 900 years old. You know, I'm shooting for 100. A lot of people know that here. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can make 800 or 900. What do you, what do you have to tell us about that? Well, the Bible records, if you read chapter 5, you're going to be amazed because you're going to see that people really live long ages. Adam lived 930 years and says that Seth lived under, uh, he lived 912 years and goes on. You know, the point is that when we look at the Bible, we see that before the flood, as it's indicated in this graph, that people lived long ages, 900 some odd years. Now, let me ask you a question. If you lived 930 years, how many kids would you have? Yeah. You ever thought about that? How smart would you be? What would you be eating? Well, we know that something was different before the flood. Conditions were a lot different. We see giantism in the fossil record. We see lots of things like that. And we also see that, as I look at this record, I see that, hey, if I lived, uh, if Adam lived 900, let me go to another graph so you can see it. If Adam lived 930 years, he can cross links and he can actually uh, Methuselah, he can actually talk to Methuselah, one of the oldest men in the Bible. We see him. And then we go to Lamech, Lamech he, uh, and we could actually see that a lot of these people probably knew, knew Adam. And uh, we could chart trek with Noah, and we could see, go back to where Noah is, and we see Noah knew his son, Seth. So we can see that they knew almost everybody. So there was a lot of conversation, and I believe that's one of the reasons why this is, stays so intact, because they were talking. They had it. They were talking about God, and we're talking about, we knew that there was something going on there. Now, we know, when we look at this, that as we looked at the record, we see giantism. Now, giantism is a phenomenon that I believe happened before the flood and carried a little bit after the flood. It carried into the Ice Age. The Ice Age happened right after the flood. So what, we have evidence of this because we actually found these things. Not this one, but I'll show you other things we found. This is a, this is a giant sloth's claw. Okay, so look at a cloth and a claw. Uh, look at a sloth in a zoo today. You'll notice that he doesn't have these types of claws, right? Uh, here's a giant sloth's teeth. Okay, these are rodent-type teeth. They lacked they lacked enamel, so they continue to grow and grow and grow. For the sloth to stay alive, he had to literally grind his teeth like most rodents do, like rats, mice, and so on. So he's a big chewer. We can see evidence of his teeth because he really chewed, and so they locked together. I mean, this is a great big creature. Giantism was everywhere. We know that. As we look further at, we see other creatures, we see the fact that there were insects that were very large. In this one, we see amber, the amber. This is like sap that we believed existed uh, right before the flood, and then when it got caught up in the flood, a lot of these insects made their way into it and got honed in. And what we found with insects is they haven't changed. Did you know that? They haven't changed. The only thing that's changed with them is they got, some of them in the old records got bigger. We found dragonflies with wingspans of three feet. Imagine looking out and saying, oh, there's a beautiful dragonfly. Mm, coming right at you. Huh? It'd be a different world, wouldn't it be, before the flood? My wife talks about ants. She says, I wonder how big those ants would have been. Well, I don't know about ants, but I know there were some insects that we found giantism everywhere. As I look at the fossil record, I also know that there were big fish, like this big guy. 
And I have two uh, teeth to prove this. This tooth represents a giant megalodon. Does anybody here believe in Jaws? After I get through with you today, you will. Yeah. Yes, Jaws. Big, big, big animals like giant sharks that existed right after the flood and before the flood. So we see in this, this tooth, by the way, is about it's uh, five inches, at least five inches. So he was about 50 foot of shark right here. Every inch is a foot. This is probably what would happen to me if I was there. I'll be swallowed up. Yes. I'm glad he's extinct today. Don't you folks? Yes. Good. Well, at least we agree. And of course, we have the giant mammoth, and you have bones back in the back area that you can see. This is the, one of the largest femurs ever discovered. Next to me is a, a lady from England, East Angalia, and she literally has one of the biggest mammoth femurs. The femur is the thigh bone. Right next to me in the, our museum, I have the femur, and we believe our femur is bigger than their femur. Isn't that neat? One of the things we have to prove along that is its, its toes. I have its toes. I have a giant mammoth's toes. We believe this mammoth stood maybe 18 foot tall. And here's his toe. Imagine having a toe this big connected to your, yeah, to your ankle bone. And so we have definite proof that there was giantism during the... And so we see a lot of things have changed during that time as we look at this. And this is what we think the Columbian mammoth might look at. He would have been standing 18 feet. When you go to the zoo and you look at a giraffe, imagine an extinct mammoth standing right next to it. The same size. Okay? Just to get a picture of what was going on during the Ice Age and right out before the flood. Giantism, long ages, really weird things. And that's, that's the reasoning behind that. Oh, thank you. Uh, that, you know, I never had really thought of it in those terms. And it, uh, it's true because uh, we do wonder about these giant creatures that we've seen. Um, let me ask you another question, though. Cain, uh, he's the son of Adam and Eve. And they, uh, you know, it says after he killed Abel that he then went off to a city. Well, if he's their son, how can there be a city of people you know, and, and I guess some people ask the question, it goes kind of like this, is where did Cain get his wife? And uh, uh, Tom, we're running a little short on time, so if you can I'm going to do this shortly. Make I, brief. I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what I want to do is focus on the Bible verse very quickly. It says that, yeah, Cain had a wife. So you might say, oh, wait a minute. You mean he married his sister? Or yes, he did. Don't panic. Remember, 930 years, lots of kids. Genetic pool was good. Genes were good. Your DNA was good. DNA was good. What happens? After a period of time, the DNA gets bad. Did you know that? That your DNA, that's why you can't marry your sister and brothers, because your DNA is bad. You have mistakes. And when you isolate them in that gene pool, you're going to get birth defects. So, Mosaic Law says, no more of this stuff. Can't marry your sisters and brothers. It happened during Moses' time, because our genetic pool was getting bad. How about today? Your genetic pool is real bad. That's why you have a lot of disease around. They didn't have the diseases you have today because their gene pool is good. You have defective genes, and here's what happens. You, because of the curse, you carry your genes, and you pass them on to your kids, right? And they pass them on to your kids. And so there's a verse, Exodus, that talks about that, Exodus 25, that you're going to pass the sins down, and you do pass your sins down in the form of defects, gene defects. So here you are with this little bag, and then this bag, you pass it on to the next generation, it gets bigger, and you pass it before you know it, you have this great big bag that you're passing on to your kids. And they have all these diseases to worry about because we're dying faster than we think. 
One of the reasons why God said subdue the earth is because he knew that we needed to have dominion else we would become extinct. Hence, I'm standing before you as a great example of that. I had a kidney transplant. I should have been dead 10 years ago. You understand that? Medicine has kept us alive and is keep working against extinction. Pretty good answer. I like that. Uh, Tom, the earth, we are told, uh, and you've been saying it yourself, you know, we talk about like how long a dinosaur may have been here or, or certain creatures, you know, millions of years old. And yet if we read the Bible uh, and we kind of take it from a literal point of view, we would say it can't be that old. And so young earth, old earth, what, are we should, what should we believe? Well, since nobody was there when the earth was made, that's what it says, we're in the foundation. Where were you, it says in Job 38, where were you when the foundations were being made? It's very clear to me when I look at the Bible that we have what we call historical data. And one of the things people like to talk about in historical data is the fact that when we have historical data, they like to talk about radioisotopes or things that are inside atoms. So one of the things I see very clearly is these dates that come from these radioisotopes. A radioisotope, don't get excited, is when uh, we all decay. There are certain things, certain minerals in rocks that decay, and we measure those because they just break up. And we measure the rates, and they say that, oh, because of these rates, we're millions and millions of years old. There's lots of assumption made. One assumption is that they started from nothing. I believe that we started from something because God created this whole creation with some measure of age. Now, because of that, they come up with inconsistent dates all the time. You should see the charts. They're always different. We see that we have what we call leftover helium. Leftover helium is material. They come from isotopes, but they're leftover, meaning that they're things that should go away. Helium. Think about helium. What happens when you have a helium balloon? What happens? What happens? Helium balloon goes up. You lose it. Well, if we had a lot of radioactive decay and the Earth was millions and millions of years old, we should have a lot of helium, right? I mean, a lot of helium should go. We should be gone because if the Earth was really long, a lot of that helium should have been gone. You're ready for this. We caught that helium. We studied it. And you know what it said? The Earth is 6,000 years old. That's what the Bible says. It affirmed it. It said thousands of years, not millions of years. We looked at the, the rocks themselves. The rocks have marks saying that they're young. Inside the old rocks, we have young rocks that's saying that they're young. Why are they old rocks? Because they appear to be old. But because there's young inside of it, that we have to reevaluate re- that and we see, hey, you know what? You guys really have young stuff. Okay? Next thing we see is that we can actually date carbon. Carbon is what we call radioactive. There's radioactive carbon in our bodies. Don't get panicky. It's not going to harm you. It's a, there's a carbon-14 in your bodies. And when you die, the carbon-14 is measured. Okay? And it, it's kind of hard to measure the carbon-14. There's not a lot of carbon-14 in your bodies, but we can measure it. Okay? Now, if you've died, but died a long time, you should have very little carbon-14. Actually, the number of carbon-14 that you have in your body is very, very small, and so it, there's a very stringent limit on it. It only measures in many 20,000 years accurately. So creationists use this and say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to date the fossils with this radioactive carbon. If the radioactive carbon appears in the rocks, they're not millions of years old. They're not billions of years old. They're thousands of years old. It proves the young earth. You know what we found? We found in diamonds, supposedly millions of billions of years old, that they're just, that as we look at these rocks, we see very clearly that they're, small, this, this, uh, that they're really young. Take a look at this here. Diamonds having carbon mean young. And we found uh, in, in here, that I'm going to walk up here, this is the 
femur, and inside the femur, it's broken open, and the dates took place in their carbon dates, and we found that the, that femur is not 50, 65 million years old, like the evolutionists like to talk about as far as old age is concerned. We think it's very young. We look at T-Rex. Take a look at this slide. This is amazing. See that T-Rex slide? What do you see in there? You see remnants of red blood. You see soft tissue. You see vessels. This is supposed to be 65 million years old. They can't describe this. They say it's just an oddity. It must have been a way they preserved this. For us as creationists, we say it's a mark of young age. It really is. We look at the fact that light travels and we have appearance of age, but really and truly, when we look at Adam and Eve, were they fully formed? Were they little babies? Were they infants? Were they, what were they? They were fully formed. The plants were fully formed. Everything was fully formed. So we have an appearance of age. The earth had an appearance of age. The rocks had an appearance of age. Everything had an appearance of age because it was mature. And so if you, don't, if you understand that from the, the Bible, then guess what? You're going to understand why there's an appearance of age. Evolutionists don't believe in that. They believe that it started from nothing and that I had to eventually get to something. But we said, hey, wait a minute. We have a God, and he created something, you see. And he created with his word, and it became what it became through the Holy Spirit. It's uh, interesting uh, to see that there's other, so other things are telling us, there's other age indicators of the earth right. uh, out there that are showing uh, and indicating a, a shorter time span. I, I, thought, I was blown away when I saw the slides on that T-Rex to think that it was 50 million years old, and yet there's still blood tissue and uh, blood and tissue that exists. Hey, we're, we're kind of out of time, but we're going to do one more question uh, because I think this is an important question um, because especially when it comes to the age of the earth, the, you know, we see bones of dinosaurs in museums, and, and we're not, there's nobody faking that. You know, they're real. And so, Tom, dinosaurs, people are telling us, scientists maybe are saying they existed before man and that they walked the earth this long, long time ago, uh, and we do see them. What are we to believe what, what's the deal with dinosaurs? Does anybody know the Bible mentions dinosaurs? Do you know where they mention it? If you do, do you know? Yeah, they're, they're, there's a Bible verse that I want to refer to. Actually, a couple of them. It's Job 40. Let me set this up for you. You see, Job was being questioned by God. So when I'm going to put the verse before you is God speaking, not Job. God is speaking to Job. God is revealing himself to Job, and this is what he says. He says, I'm sorry, I had to throw that dinosaur in there too because that's what I believe God's showing uh, Job. Because read the description with me. It says, what strength he has in his loins, what power in the muscle of his belly, the sinews of his thighs are close-knit, his bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs are like rods of iron. He ranks first amongst the works of God, yet his maker can approach him with a sword. Let me tell you what I see. I see that picture. I see a belly. I see a gigantic belly. I think that the, the big dinosaurs like this Barosaurus can literally go on its hind legs. Why? Because his, it says his bones are tubes of bronze. And we have found that. Just recently, the 30 years, 20 years, we have found fossils. And we have found that their bones are very hollow. They literally could move. Hence Jurassic Park in 1993 when it, was, when it came out. They had the big Brachiosaurus standing on its hind legs. Why? Because we believe this could happen. Job is experiencing a dinosaur effect. He's literally Jurassic effect. He's literally seeing a great big dinosaur stand behind him. And God is showing him, look, Job, look, this is my work. 
this is my work on earth, and this is my first work on earth. This is one of my, my excellent ways of making things, and I care for you, Job. And later on, we see that he keeps talking, and we see that Job is now confronted with a fire-breathing dragon. It says, his sneezing flashed forth light. His eyes are like the eyelids of morning. Job 41, 16, 21 gives us a great description of a fire-breathing dragon. Why not? Some people say, oh, that's a fairy tale. Why not? Do you know biology? Do you know that we can see luminescent fish that produce light? You know how artists produce light? Fireflies, little insects produce light. Do you know that if you touch an electric eel, 5,000 watts, 500 watts, you could get killed? Where did the electricity come from? You see, the whole biology is fascinating because God has put these unbelievable things together. Even a bombardier beetle that literally secretes two chemicals, makes a little explosion in his rear end. So be, be careful when you go near him. There it is. There's the chemicals right inside. How did that originate? How did that evolve? That's a big question. But two chemicals, hydrogen quinone and hydrogen peroxide, come together, boom, make an explosion. Imagine if he was in a T-Rex head, six and a half, five and a half feet long, six feet. What explosion would he make? Could he breathe out? Could he breathe out fire? And the answer is, why certainly he could. Not only do I affirm this, not only see this as a scientific thing, I see it being affirmed in the Bible. They talk about dragons in the Bible. In the Old King James, 22 times they say that there was dragons. In the Geneva Bible, 24 times it says there was dragons. In the original biblical Hebrew text, the word tannin meant land or sea animal. In the Greek text, the word translated dragon, uh, which became dragon over time. It was recently, since 1841, the dinosaurs were discovered. The Bible had it, they were calling them dragons all along. You see? And then we go and we see that, hey, we have testimony of this. We have a legend in England that and is dated 250 AB. states that a brave St. George slew a man-eating dragon. And then, you know, I, we, have, we, have, we have descriptions of dragons in almost every continent. Why not then be true? See, I look at this and I say, this is a testimony that God exists. If I can find dragons, fire-breathing dragons, and he talks about them in the Bible, and I see this in history, it's not a fairy tale, folks. They've been around. Uh, that's pretty amazing, uh, and it's true. I, we see it in, uh, we think that it's been myth, and yet every culture writes about them. And so maybe it's more than myth. Tom, what would, uh, you have anything for last words for us today? You know, um, I just want to say this. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a little, a little enthusiastic about this, and I get a little emotional about it, but God is good. He's good. God has created this beautiful universe so we can see a little bit of Him. You notice I said a little bit of Him? Because really and truly, you're looking at a sinful world. You look at a depraved world. You look at a dangerous world. We live by His grace. We really do. And so when I look at this, John, this whole creation message, I see God's grace. I see it overwhelmingly. Whether I look at his cell, whether I look at DNA, I see an unbelievable complexity just revealing itself. So God has given me an opportunity to see him. I don't know about you. The Job experience tells me very clearly that you have every availability to be able to see him and recognize him that he is God. The stars, he's named every one in the universe. Where did they come from? Oh, everybody says a big explosion, but think about it. Have you seen an explosion produce anything in your life? 
Huh? You see, you have a reason here and a logos. I never understood this. I never understood that by the word of God, you really, really can see his creation. And you could see that the word of God is really entwined with the gospel. They are inseparable. They are inseparable. You see, when I think of God's creation, I can't help but think of not only creator, but I can only think also of a savior. They're entwined. Jesus Christ is not just the creator of the universe. There's not just a God that created the universe. The same God that we saw in John 1, the Logos, the Word, became what? Flesh. So that we can experience Him, very much like you can experience God in this wonderful world that we live in. I know it's to pray, but we still can see it. But you know, here's the final thing. Think about it. If Jesus Christ literally gave us this big world to really see him and think about God, then why, why is there a death? It's a big question. And my heart of hearts is to let people know that, you know what? We can defeat death, right? When you die, you die. Your body dies, your flesh dies. But we defeated death with Jesus Christ. That's the hope. That's what I see here. I see Jesus Christ in everything and everywhere. And if we have any reason to doubt this, I think we need to firm up and understand that there's a Jesus Christ that loves us and cares for us. So much so, so as we see his creation, we can experience him. He actually came on earth. So we can experience him. Your bodies are not just a representation of him. He came first. He came first in concept and everything else. He literally was here in his body as God. And he came down on earth so he can walk on this earth so we can experience him. Knowing Jesus Christ, knowing himself full well that he would be paying the penalty for us because of our depravity. It's very clear to us that we can't save ourselves no matter what our sin is, where we go, where we do. We, folks, cannot save ourselves. Do you understand that? You can't save yourself. Oh, I do good works. No, it doesn't fit. You do one bad thing, that's it. You're not going to go to heaven. But you see, there's a little secret here. It's not what you do. It's what Christ does, what Christ did. See, it's through Christ that we're alive. It's through Christ, through his resurrection. He defeated everything when he resurrected from the dead. He defeated death. So now I have a new hope in him. And that changes my whole perspective of life. As an atheist agnostic, I didn't know where I was going. As an atheist agnostic, I was lost in a world. I tried to find it. I kept on trying to find it. But till I realized that it wasn't me, it was Jesus that died for me. No matter what I did, it didn't matter. It was always Jesus in the center. And what he did for me, he gave me the path so that I could experience him through his death and resurrection. 
when I realized that it was free. It didn't, I didn't have to do anything. He was just out there saying, here, I give you the gift. And it was free. And all I had to do was reach out. And they say, oh, have faith in him, yes. But better yet, it's having trust in him. Because trust is really what we're after. Can you trust the God that made you? Can you trust the God that died for you? Can you trust him? Because he wants you. Remember, it's not us. It's him. And how he works through his Holy Spirit is a marvel. He works just like when the word said, the word the creation came to be, in the beginning was the word, and then the whole creation came to be. His Holy Spirit was active in every part of this creation. And second, for every part in what we do right now. And if you're at this time trying to figure this all out and trying to weigh it out in your, your soul and your heart and mind, I have news for you. You don't have to figure anything out. All you have to do is just move forward in Jesus. He's waiting for you. Lots of times we think we've got to do a lot of work and we've got to do all this. No, no. You understand that by, by trusting in him and having faith in him, everything will work out. Everything will work out. You'll have the peace that will transcend all understanding. I think we should get up, and I'd like to pray, and I'd like you all to pray with me. So why don't you all stand up? Heavenly Father, we come before you as people who can't do anything in this world. We can't. Just a playground. We just do things. We just do things. But Lord, you make sense of everything we do. We know, Lord, that we belong to you. In essence, our heart, our minds, our souls are just wound up in your presence. And we come to you, Jesus, knowing that you're our God. So we pledge to you at this very moment, Lord, from our spirit to our mind to our whole body, we just pledge to you, Jesus, that we are yours in this whole creation. Thank you, Jesus. We pledge ourselves to you. And for those, Lord, who are questioning or searching, are looking for Christ, are looking for a reason, there's a Christ there for you. He's waiting. All you have to do is knock and the door will be open to you. Open. The door will be opened and the Holy Spirit will come. And if you feel that God is really working on your heart, that he is penetrating you, would you just raise your hand? And nobody's looking. Just raise your hand. Raise your hand. If you feel that you have a sense of calling, that God is here, and you've been searching, and he's here now. Jesus is here in your body, your soul. He's he's reaching out. You want to accept him. You want to trust in him. Just Just raise your hand. Raise it high. just ask Jesus, and I'd like everybody to pray with me. Jesus, we come to you because we trust in you as our creator, our savior, the one that built this whole world and came down to save us. It's through your blood, Lord, that we exist. And Lord, as we come before you, we humbly confess our sins. 
Because we are sinners, Lord. We know we have sinned. So, Lord, we come to you and we trust in you, Jesus. We know, Lord, that you are God. And we want to now give you our spirit, our mind, and our body. We trust in you, Jesus. We're going to give you our mind, our hearts, and our body. We turn it over to you, Jesus. It's in your precious and your holy name we pray.